Testing, testing, one, two. Testing, testing, one, two. Welcome to the Voice Podcast. That's Voice with V-O-I-U-S. This is something that I've been meaning to do for quite some time. Um, I am your host, Ibrahim Zero X. And I'm kind of glad that it's starting at this juncture because I would have told you all five different names along the way (laughs) in my growth to becoming Ibrahim Zero X. Some of you may know me as Victor Blockchain. Um, You've probably heard some of my music online. I encrypt Bitcoin in my lyrics. If you decode the lyrics, then you get the Bitcoins out of the song. Victor Blockchain is cool. It's uh, Victor is the name that I was born with, that my mother gave me. I was named after my grandfather. Um, and along the way, in my um, growth to a 44 and a half, or going on 44 and a half year old man, I've uh, accepted the life journey and universal truth of Islam. And, you know, when you make that kind of commitment, you get a new name. You don't just <laughs> you don't just carry on as the same old guy that you used to be. Right? And you don't just get any old name. You actually, you know, get a prophetic name. Um, you get to choose a name after one of the prophets. Um, mentally putting yourself at the understanding of your operating as a much higher level being. Um, is what I interpret it as. And, you know, anytime I tell um, hardcore Muslim folks, my name is Ibrahim, um, they automatically let me know (laughs) the weight that name comes with. (laughs) And um, as I have learned and experienced, it's definitely not um, a light name to carry. I hope that um, I carry this magnificent, majestic, imperial (laughs) Um, weight of a name honorably for the rest of my life journey. I hope I represent it honorably in these discussions and conversations. And um, I hope that you see that is, you know, uh, it is a challenge that I am up to. (laughs) Uh, not by my own selection. Um, uh, apparently, I have, you know, some of us get selected or chosen um, to take on certain destinies, or some of us come into the moment of realization of their destiny. And I don't think destiny is something that you can decline. <laughs> um you know that'll be a fascinating philosophic conversation to um, to have at some point in these podcasts, um, if and when each of us are presented with our um, with our destinies. Do we have, or does free will include declining <laughs> your destiny? Like, nah, bro. <laughs> um, I think you guys got the wrong person because. You know, do you have the option to say that? I don't think so. Um, what's written is written. And um, you may think, well, I guess maybe, right? Uh, I mean, Tesla ended up burning and throwing away a, a lot of patents, a lot of this, that, and the other. Um, some of it still got 
used and utilized, but you know maybe he did change the path of his own destiny. I mean, he ended up um, as um, the rumors of history have it, or maybe facts of history have it that um, you know he was alone and in love with a pigeon. Regardless how brilliant his mind is, mind was, and maybe that decision to burn some things and not bring destructive weapons and fantastic technologies to fruition ultimately set him on that course and that destiny denial. And um, the result now is just your name remembered um, honorably so through Tesla vehicles, Tesla cars. Um, It's, you know, you get the forever acclaim of electricity and taking the world into um, you know, its clean energy, quote unquote, destiny. Even though, even if you specifically was the person who did that for us or not, ultimately your destiny was recognized. Even if you chose to decline it while um, while living, right? And uh, if you are aware of um, my journey and story to this point, then I would definitely say that (laughs) um, I stepped left foot forward into my destiny and it has been a um, quite a whirlwind since. I mean, if you want to know just how much of a whirlwind it has, it has ended up being, I'm staying in um, a friend is helping me um, get some rest um, and be able to have a quiet place to record this very first podcast uh, by allowing me to use his um, um, deceased mother's um, old apartment. Um, it, 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 I, I, I am grateful for it, and I, I'm, um, you know, I'm happy that I have this place. Right, but if I was to give you a description of this, man, this looks like a setup house. <laughs> right, um, there's just stuff everywhere. Um, there's a crib in the middle of the place, uh, and I'm not again downing or declining the um, um, the gracious gesture. Right, um, but if there was ever to be a story of a guy who was found. <laughs> Um, in some apartment that he didn't own, electricity is off, and there's just chaos everywhere. Um, if you wanted to paint, a, you know, some kind of morbid story about that guy, this is the this is definitely the apartment you'd have him <laughs> you'd have him set up in. <laughs> All right, um, but as we'll learn along, you know, these podcasts um, eventually. You may find out how I ended up in um, in an apartment like this, um, and how you know this has been one of many of the of the cool and odd places that my story has taken me. In I'm a developer. Uh, I build apps, websites. I do a lot of Web three stuff, um, crypto. Um, there's going to be a lot of crypto conversations and. You know, if you intend to or not, I'm not. You're going to learn some things about crypto if you stay engaged in the conversations. And um, I'm not looking to sway anybody's philosophy on money. 
right? Uh, but I will say, if we're in the age of self-driving cars, we're in the age of some of the most fantastic technologies, that's the one thing that always annoys me about some crypto deniers, right? They have, you ask them to pull out their phone, it's the most up-to-date iPhone or, or the most up-to-date mobile phone. They're not pulling out some flip phone, Nextel, <laughs> Nokia from, you know, <laughs> back in the early 2000s as their as their technology device no they're using all the latest things but somehow their their mind just cannot connect that part of the latest technology to use is also this digital currency stuff right it's just in line with the times um so those conversations will be there but um if you know anything about techies and nomads in the bay area especially we'll grab our backpack um, sleeping bag, tent, and we'll just, you know, nomad around the city and do our building and our coding. Uh, I think this ends up putting, you know, the technologists in unique positions to solve, um, to present solutions. It's no wonder that um, many of the solutions that you will have coming up for world hunger or just local hunger, um, homelessness, this, that, and the other, are usually people either of affluence um, that... PhD professor who, for whatever reason, um, loves to live as basic as possible, but in that experience, they they get keen insights into how to solve some really cool problems. All right, um, and you know, it, it, it's it's not a coincidence that um, those are the type of people that usually end up coming up with um, um, presenting cool solutions. So I'm going to take you to that extreme, and it, it, it's not intentionally. Uh, obviously, if somebody wrote me a million-dollar check, <laughs> if somebody had written me a million-dollar check anywhere in the path of, of, of my entrepreneurship over the past few years, um, obviously, this would not be... Um, this apartment story would not be part of my story. Um, or maybe it might, you know. Look, um, going back to crypto for a second, you, we, we have that story in the news of um, Sam Backman fried I'm, I'm pretty sure his name is Fried at this point. <laughs> um, his company was worth $62 billion, and now it's, it, it, it's worth, a, you know, a bag of white bread at your, lo- at your local Safeway, <laughs> Right. Um, and the most blandest brand bread you can have, the one that just falls apart the minute you pull it out the bag. It's, it, it can't even hold butter. But if I was given the opportunity to blow $62 billion, let me be able to ruin a $62 billion um, company, a startup. All right, um, judge me by that. <laughs> not the ability, <laughs> not the ability to not get a product to that point. But, you know... Um, some of us get those chances and some of us don't. And, uh, you know, part of my entrepreneurial story is being among the entrepreneurs that don't get the chance to ruin $62 billion or $16 billion of my own personal fortune. Um, <laughs> what I would give for that opportunity. <laughs> you know, I might turn into $100 billion and then blow it. Who knows? All right. Um, but I enjoy building cool things. I enjoy manifesting um, cool ideas. Um, and, you know, if and when you choose to use any of the products that I've created that I talk about uh, um, in these podcast stories, I think you'll see for yourself that, yes, um, um, 
you know, some things work great, some things don't. But in all, the idea is the products are usually very forward thinking. Right. So um, current events. The Dave Chappelle is getting a little bit of flack again for his Saturday night. Uh, you know, I think to an extent he did come to the defense a little bit of Kanye, um, but he did it very um, intellectually. Um, you know, Dave Chappelle, um, and he found a way to to do a very to, to, you know to do a very dangerous thing, which is work it walking a very thin line on. Um, that cultured conversation, right? Um, and, uh, you know, I think his disclaimer that he started with <laughs> um, the skit with applies to me. And I, I think probably every single podcast person is going to record that very short um, disclaimer of Dave Chappelle and utilizing it when and if they think they may be having conversations that require um, that disclaimer to be disclosed. Um, I am not, you know, someone who talks recklessly about anything. I don't have any hate for any particular group, gender, um, class of human. (laughs) I I give little people a lot of credit. Uh, Little people are are a global um, human segment, uh, you know, I hope that's a safe word to use, but you never hear anything about little people. Uh, they, uh, they just take everything in stride. <laughs> this, this is the world that they live in and they're cool with it. I've never seen a protest of little people in picket signs wanting any kind of <laughs> any kind of change. Um, and I think that's impressive. You know, um, and, you know they're the model oppressed that uh, we should all follow. <laughs> I, um, and I actually, never actually thought about that, but, you, you know, this should have a lot of frustrations, a lot more frustrations than, than represented. Now, <laughs> um, you know, as compared to you know, the black story, look, um, I don't think that uh, every conversation is mine to enter. All right, uh, there was an episode of Curb Your Enthusiasm in which um, Leon had to check um, Larry that look, you know, cultures are responsible for checking their own cultures. Um, a Jewish person checks a Jewish person, a black person checks a black person, Asian for Asian, gays for gays. Right, you don't go cross culture checking. Um, stay in your lane, right? Um, and some American perspectives, I don't think that I have the legs to stand on to uh, to make comments. Although you can also argue that being an immigrant makes me as American as the next guy, right? Um, but um, some sentiments of Americanism is you're eating hot dogs every day, going to baseball games, and watching NASCAR. Otherwise, um, it, your Americanism is down a notch compared to the next guy. You know, um, some aspects of the American black conversation. Right, um, as an African, I am from Sierra Leone, West Africa, a very small country. 
um, the best way that we would describe it in school or told or given to describe it in school is to say that it's uh, um, right below the equator, which means it's hot. <laughs> it's really, really hot. Um, living there, you don't, you don't really think about that. You just know that <laughs> the sun's out. <laughs> You know, everybody is is very dark, um, but you don't start objectifying that yourself or, or looking at that in any kind of positive or negative yourself until I come to America and other people are telling me how black I am. <laughs> right? Um, but even being that black doesn't mean that you can stop. You can step into any conversations concerning black Americans, because the very first thing a black American would then resort to is to tell you that you're not one of them. And because you're an outsider is why you have an outsider's perspective. Right. And so some conversations I've just learned to stay out of. <laughs> um, if, if and when I feel it, 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 I just have nothing to contribute. I don't, I'm not going to talk about things I don't know about. Right. Um, you ask me about gang culture, for example, and I'm not saying that in in reference to uh, uh, I know it's a terrible segue between American blacks and German gang culture. It's not meant to correlate. I'm just saying that I, I would not be sitting at a table having a conversation about gang culture because I don't have anything official to contribute to it. Right. Um, as in the best understanding that I have of gang culture is it's a brotherhood, it's a sisterhood, it's family. Right? And that comes from the closest thing I can relate it to is in being play, playing some kind of organized sports where I'm putting my health on the line for my teammates. Right? Um, you're on the football field, you see bones get broken. So some people, unfortunately, um, have neck injuries. Right? The best that they get out of there is a standing ovation um, while... They've been carted off the field. Now, that's nowhere close to putting your life on the line or having to kill somebody um, because of that brotherhood, sisterhood, family, neighborhood, color, um, kinship. But, you know, those levels of, of commitment um, exist. You see that in soldiers. And that is um, globally. Right. So outside of that understanding of brotherhood and sisterhood, I'm not going to sit here and say why it is this or that was to, you know, the reason somebody is finding that lifestyle to be the best for themselves, their families and so on. Right. Um, a better example would be the Carrie Irving situation. Right. Um, that, you know, I think that. The great flaw Mr. Irvin made is in not understanding that you don't come to the defense of somebody who was sued for $900 million. You stay as far away from that person as possible. Right? Um, uh, that's a very, very bad judgment uh, for somebody who has the financial uh, uh, <laughs> excellence. <laughs> to be able to get educated and informed by anybody he wants on this planet, right? Um, and anybody in his circle of any kind of um, of progressive mind um, should have given him the instinct to realize, you know, 
there's some people you just cannot come to the defense of. Right, um, 50 Cent will tell you this. The minute he starts beefing with any rapper, if somebody tries to come and help the rapper he's beefing with, they're now involved in the beef as far as they're concerned. So imagine how that works on the level of somebody who just got sued, who just lost the lawsuit for $900 million. They want him bankrupt. They want him gone. Anybody who associates with this guy is going to get caught in the crossfire. Now, you know, that inability to have that understanding now has other celebrities, um, journalists, sports personalities, commentators, ministers having to jump into the conversation, trying to defend somebody who may not have the required intellect for the fight that he chose. Now, I, 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 that might have sounded bad, <laughs> and I don't. I really don't want to say it as an intellect thing in that way, right? Um, but it's either that, or Mister McKyrie feels extremely entitled to, um, it, you know, some. Stating, establishing, um, proving, showing that he's an athlete who did not sign every facet of his being away, and he does have some kind of autonomy to speak freely as the great America um, mandates to every two legs, person of two legs that's walking on this land. Right. Um, so if that's the case... And, you know, he's shown very much so that he's willing to stand up for what he believes in the past. Um, And it may not necessarily be a thing that he believes any kind of anti-Semitism whatsoever. I'm not saying that. But he believes he has the freedom and autonomy to say, tweet, post, whatever he wants because he did not sign every facet of his being away in a contract. But that still does not mean you come to the defense of somebody who just lost a $900 million lawsuit. That is as big a red flag as you would ever want of who to stay away from for the duration, (laughs) at least until the season's over. (laughs) Um, But again... This may just be one of those things where I don't have the American credentials uh, um, to comment on. Right. So we'll take it as that. Um, And going back to crypto for a second, um, uh, my crypto story starts way back in 2014. Actually, earlier than that, 2014 is when I launched GamerHolicoin. It's a cryptocurrency for video games. Right. Um, I thought that was the safest way to go if you're going to launch a cryptocurrency as a black man. <laughs> Seriously, honestly. <laughs> right. Just video games. Right? It's innocent. It's, it's for little children, you know? <laughs> right. um, and it was on Bittrex for over two years. Back then, people didn't know what the hell I was talking about. 
people still don't know what the hell I'm talking about most of the time when it comes to crypto. But uh, I do come across folks themselves when I talk to the super nerds who actually know how to code blockchains. I'm a coder, but I'm not I, I, I'm not the most fantastic coder. Right. Um, uh, I want to be able to get the product up as quickly as possible. Um, the amount of time that I spent learning how to code on YouTube and Google, I skipped a few chapters. <laughs> right? um, it's a lot of copy and paste. Did, did it work? Cool, it worked. Let's move forward. I don't need to know why it worked. <laughs> right. Um, so don't be one of those um, you know, computer science guys where if I... If and when I do invite um, and start having conversations with other computer science folks, don't think I'm I'm at your level or so computer sciencey that you can start hitting me with things, and I'm going to be like, yeah, 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 yeah. I'm going to be there with you. No, you're going to blow holes through my computer science nest pretty quickly, right? Um, but at the end of the day, um, I can build pretty cool things. That does not stop me from doing that, right? Um, and when you're a solo developer. You're one person, you know. You just you just need to get it up, right? And as long as it's working, I'm happy, right? Um, so with that said, uh, I'm, I'm eager in the NFTs. I should have gotten into the NFT space a lot earlier, but I was focused on music and uh, music NFTs at the time, um, and I was fully aware of of you know the po- the potential, the possibilities, and so on of NFTs. Um, you know, I, I had come to a point in crypto where I just burnt myself out as an entrepreneur. All right, for as long as I had been trying to get Gameraholic going, um, I gave a pitch at TechCrunch. The video is still on YouTube, which I thought was just a phenomenal pitch. I gave it my all, and it landed with crickets. Um, the fact that... You know, after such a pitch, not even a single person of influence came, you know, up for us to have any conversations. Uh, I, I, you, you could just see me deflate um, after that pitch at TechCrunch. Um, I bit my lip, walked off to the side a little bit frustrated. Um, I think I at some point went outside and got a J, I'm sure, smoked a J, I'm sure. Um, but I didn't love the product moving forward anywhere close to as much as I did before. I didn't spend days and days writing code, making improvements, um, you know, haunting down users at other chat rooms and so on and so forth. I w- must have walked around with a Gameaholic shirt for years in San Francisco. <laughs> And here's another odd story to that, right? Um, the, the co-working space I used, Yedison, I worked out of there for like two years. Right? I remember when I was first telling them that uh, um, I have a Bitcoin gaming company and how much they just dismissed Bitcoin. It, it was so new at the time that it was, it, you know, you, you, were, you were just not taken seriously if you brought that up into a product conversation. Right? Uh, and um, for the two years I worked there, they wrote a check to every stupid game game idea <laughs> that almost came through the door um, while ignoring me as I sat there on a daily basis building my product. And now it turns out the founder, one of the founders of Yetizen, is under FBI investigation 
for going around trying to collect money for crypto games that he never delivered. So if that is not a what the fuck <laughs> for irony, um, uh, it's also a, a um, you know a realization of the kind of world that I've existed in um, for this long, right? Um, but I'm thankful and grateful for the experiences, nonetheless. It's it, it's you know it builds character, I guess. Right, um, and all those experiences over the years, I can uh, insightfully, um, you know, point myself in almost any product in the right direction when it comes to crypto conversations on what you should be building, what you should take interest in building, what is likely going to work and what is not. I don't claim to know everything, um, but the insights are there, and I'm sure that I've been wrong on plenty of things um, in the past. And also, I just didn't didn't like the fees of Ethereum at one point. For there was like a two year span of me saying I'm not paying that, and because I'm not paying that, I'm not even looking into what the hell Ethereum is doing. Right, um, and having that kind of hard line perspective um, set me back on the on the wild potential of Ethereum. It really wasn't until I got back into ENS domains that I got excited again about Ethereum. Um, but I knew the cannibalization of blockchain products was coming. This has been predicted quite some time ago. There was a very, very smart Nigerian um, cat that I was talking to. Um, and regardless how much I convinced him or tried to convince him to come help me with the Gamerholic product, he was firm in that Ethereum was the future. And as he put it, Ethereum will cannibalize every other blockchain in the coming years. And his prediction turned out to be correct because you can literally write a smart contract for most of the things that have blockchains. I'm sorry, Ripple fanboys and girls, but you can write a smart contract to do what the hell Ripple is doing. I mean, look, when we start talking about the absolute fantastic future, it is going to be a smart contract future. Um, sure, there are some limitations now. No offense. Yes, I'm not saying anything uh, anything counter to that. But every single electronic device communication with another electronic device is going to be both secure, securely maintained, and made possible thanks to smart contracts. If a Tesla wants to make a left turn, it'll send a one cent or point zero 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 one cent transaction, which will likely be in Doge, to another Tesla to confirm that this is a secure communication. I'm about to make this left turn, so don't fuck it up. <laughs> right. Um, I mean, Elon didn't, you know, the trillionaires are coming and the trillionaires are going to be made possible through crypto. Let's take the word crypto out of the conversation for a second. All right. Um, humanity is at the point that Mars is... An entrepreneur's objective, not just one entrepreneur. Um, nation states are now interested in what's going on in, uh, in Mars. Um, it may be under the guise of eventual human colonization um, in the future, but what minerals are there? Um, maybe it's possible, it could be that some civilization was there in the past. And if a civilization was there in the past, what did they leave behind? 
right, um, somebody's going to go find out. <laughs> and the first person that puts him or herself in the position to go find out is going to get a lot of other people to say, wait a minute, what is so special over there that you are willing to spend all these billions of bucks? I'm going to spend billions of bucks, too, to get there first. All right. Um, and it gets to the point where we have the Starship Enterprise being built. Right? Um, for that kind of vehicle to be built, that's not... I, I don't even think any government on Earth can write that kind of check right now. <laughs> right? So you're going to need mega trillionaires who are able to build things like that, and including the Death Star, if... Uh, if if and when that becomes the um, the absolute future, right? Every space movie that you've watched is telling you that in order for this, uh, even though the Winnebago and Spaceballs cost a trillion dollars, <laughs> right? Um, that is just the eventual progression of human mental space, and you're going to need a lot of money to make that happen. And the only way to get that kind of lot of money is going to be with a complete replacement of the paper currency that you're used to, because for you to be able to amass a trillion dollars in any bank account means you you either had to be the most evil person on earth, (laughs) or you have passed every kind of scrupulous check that could ever be for any bank um, to allow a trillion bucks to exist in your bank account and the kind of interest that you're collecting on that, my goodness, you're one special special being. Um, the likelihood of that happening is Neil, next to Neil. The only way that you're going to be able to amass trillions and trillions of dollars is going to have to be without anyone being able to have oversight of you in that manner. Um, and or access to those resources that you have at moments when. All right. Um, so naturally, just for the sake of human progression, cryptocurrency is needed. It is what is going to bring in the trillionaires. It is what's going to bring in the kind of investments that you would need to create new nation states if you wanted to create a new nation state in the middle of the ocean. I mean, we can do that now. <laughs> right. Um, and that person is going to have to be filthy, filthy rich. So they're coming. And Elon Musk has put himself in line with Doge. I'm pretty sure, you know, Doge is going to have wide integration across the Musk ecosystem because he's a trillionaire. He wants to be a personal trillionaire and he's going to be a personal trillionaire outside of um, government uh, repercussions. That means Bezos. Jeff Bezos is also in line for this. Zuckerberg is also in line for this. um, The Chinese billionaires are in line for this. Um, anyone of great ambition on the planet, some 10-year-old is going to be a trillionaire, <laughs> right? Um, we, we used to be fascinated with 
you know, hearing the news of a 23-year-old billionaire in Zuckerberg or the young Bill Gates and how they immersed their billions and fortunes. Uh, you know, there are generations to come where you're going to have young people of that same wild ambition and great minds that are going to immerse trillions of dollars pretty quickly uh, through crypto. Right. And some of them will become the saviors of humanity and some of them will become, you know, some James Bond villains and or building bat caves and shit. <laughs> All right. um, those guys are going to exist. Those guys and gals. Right. Um, and, you know, you consider the neuro net, the neuro chip that Musk wants um humans to progress to eventually that's going to happen right um, you can imagine that you show up for work one day and all of a sudden bob got a chip in his head and bob that used that, that you used to annihilate on a monthly basis in sales or whatever um, um you know in-house competitions you used to have bob is now killing it <laughs> As soon as there's a question, Bob got the answer. <laughs> He's now that guy. <laughs> what are you going to do? You're, gonna, you're likely going to at least start considering getting that chip your damn self because Bob is getting fucking annoying. <laughs> right. Um, Bob can take over the company pretty quickly. Uh, Bob can just quit and become a trillionaire. <laughs> right. Um, when and if you start having your friends, neighbors, associates, enemies, um, your haters, people you hate, uh, once they start turning to that impressively um, <laughs> winner-transforming technology aid, <laughs> then yes, um, it's very likely that you would consider getting it too. Right? Um, that's just... That's just how competition works, you know, and I've never been there in China, uh, being of topic, right? Um, but the kind of things that we hear of what's going on over there, I mean, chances are, you know, their superhumans are already here. Uh, there was a video of some five-year-old that did this fantastic fish painting. Uh, whether the video was edited, propaganda, this, that, or not, if a five-year-old can draw that shit, my goodness. My goodness. The competition arena is way different than what we expected it to be and definitely on a global scale, what we competed with. When we're now at the level of splicing genes to a guarantee genius from your offsprings. Right? And that's not a biology thing. That's you being able to have the capital resources to make that biology thing happen. <laughs> right? Um, yeah. Now, you know, these podcast conversations will also include relationships, dating. Um, um, I'm not an expert in it. I don't have the relationship success 
<laughs> to actually give any kind of relationship advice. <laughs> right. Um, but I can, you know, certainly talk about human communications, what has worked best for me, what I really enjoy, what I really like, uh, and, um, and how, you know, some young men with low confidence, like I used to be, can actually progress into confidence or learn how to engage with the opposite sex um, at a time when they're not the most confident, like the experiences I have, right? It wasn't until a couple of years ago, I'm, you know, I'm 44 now, It's maybe it wasn't until 36, 37, that's longer than a couple of years, that I started getting into my own skin Actually, you know, it was maybe just <laughs> just a few years ago um, in Oakland, where uh, um, you know I had the opportunity to start experiencing psychedelics. Um, I ate some mushrooms. I ate some more mushrooms and some more mushrooms, and little by little, I started having you know the healing experiences I should have had years ago, where I cried out some, you know, some of my mom, my mommy issues. Um, I cried out my rejection issues. Um, I laughed away at, you know, my dark skin um, insecurities, right? And shedded a lot of dead skin, you know, until, you know, when I moved and I stretched and I fit, I'm like, oh, this new skin feels good. This new skin feels right. You know? Um, and that played a part in being so comfortable in my own skin that just having relationships and communications next to my fellow humans just went back to being natural. Right. There, there, there was a point of time in your youth where that engagement with almost anybody is there. Talking to any woman is no different than talking to your female niece, your female um, aunt. Obviously, that would be your aunt. <laughs> and, um, but talking to any person of the opposite sex at some point uh, um, in your growth was, was not a big deal. Right. It wasn't until that like word came about where you realize that the emotions you felt for that non-family member is way different than the emotions that you got, you know, for your nieces and cousins and so on and so forth. There's something there. There's something that is making me nervous about talking to this particular girl. What the hell is that? What is this difference? Right. But when that goes away and you, re and you take it back to just talking to another human being respectfully, knowing that they are a being. And you know what? Actually, what changed, one of the biggest things that changed um, is when I started drinking. Um, I started drinking late. When I was like 22 years old is when I started drinking. I'm after my first major heartbreak. Right. Um, and I don't know what came along with it. I had lost my confidence uh, my confidence, I would say at the time, was this beautiful baby boy that um, my son, um, after um, he stopped being a part of my life, is, it, it, and, um, you know, 
that something to hold up to was just not there anymore. If I'm reflecting back honestly, it it was a great source of confidence for me. And all of a sudden, you had nothing. You had no woman, no child. You had nothing. You and you know you're now at the money making age. Um, I'd skipped going to college, um, and I was in the position now of just figuring things out. And, um, you know, that was a different understanding of, uh, internal understanding of what confidence is when you have these new challenges come, um, come about. But drinking certainly didn't, didn't help. Right? Not only did drinking not help, um, you know, trying to get back into the swing of things um, and now having just completely different, it's like I forgot who and what women were, right? Um, going to the clubs, seeing music videos, da-da-da-da, you didn't, that connection of this is just a regular person wasn't there anymore. There was just always this thing of, well, this is the guy that they like, so this is the guy I'm supposed to be. Right, and you know, I guess that understanding of me as a person, which is completely different from the guy that I'm supposed to be, um, for women, uh, uh, you know, for the music video girl that like you, uh, that's a complete disconnect. Uh, I don't know who that person is, and so any woman I talk to, I don't know who she is. I just know that she's a girl who expects men to act like and talk like this to get her attention. It, 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 it was just chaos, man, all around. I, mentally, I wasn't there. It's now this pseudo guy that is, you know, I'm trying to be impressive with Grand Marnier and things like that. And, it, 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 you know, at 44 years old now, looking back, is like, that is such a different person. That is not the same guy I am now. You know, um, it almost feels as though I've lived three, four different lifetimes as compared to the natural two feet standing, comfortable in his own skin, um, can take on any conversation, talk to anybody, deal with anybody, and not have any internal this and that um, in, con- in confliction. You know, uh, it, it, it's it's really wild to just look back and think of the kind of young man I was under so many different influences in trying to figure out the young man to be. <laughs> um, when in the end, I simply just, you know, you hear it all the time, be yourself. But knowing what that means is... Uh, is the key. Plus, I mean, you also have to consider that culturally, um, skin shedding experiences are just not there for for young men. I don't think for for, for young women women either. Um, women have this biological advantage of growing into just a new way that your body works. You just know that you're not a girl anymore, right? Um, I can imagine as compared to men who don't have that biological experience where, you know, for some communities, it's a bar mitzvah. It's something that celebrates that you're not a boy anymore. 
right? Um, for some tribes and cultures in distant places, there are actionable things, you know, hunt, um, build, dug. You did something to have that transformative experience. You know, in the Americas, it's, oh, you're 18, you can move out. But you haven't gone through any of the skin-shedding experiences that would actually have you be the kind of guy or gal, well, guy specifically, who can move out. <laughs> All right, or you're 21 now, you can drink. But again, you haven't had any of those things that are necessary for you to be able to handle um, the new experiences that come with drinking um, and weed and this and that. Right. Uh, my DNA was just not designed for that. I didn't know what the hell was going on when I smoked. I just became so freaking awkward. I, I, I had to grow into being a comfortable smoker, and that took years. And part of that awkwardity, awkwardity <laughs> I'm sure, translated in communications and experiences, um, which in turn would hurt the confidence when it didn't work out, but you didn't know it didn't work out because you were just being super awkward. And the reason why you're being super awkward is because you're high as fuck and you don't know how to handle this. Uh, I remember a lot of these awkward experiences and awkward moments, but I kept smoking. Right, um, But I am now to the point where you know, if, if I take a toke of some weed... Three, four talks, and it gets to a certain point. I'm like, ah, that's enough. I, I, I can feel myself becoming an awkward guy. That um, entering that mind space, I don't. I, I'm not comfortable in. Right, um, and it maybe took years to be able to understand that, or it, it was just never explained to me that you're in the process of smoking. You may reach that stage of smoking. It's not high. It's just unhealthy for you to put yourself in a position to be mentally uncomfortable. That's not good. Um, so there are a lot of things, a lot of factors that went into play of being, of not being as confident as I, as I should have been as a as a young man transforming. Uh, and I hope that these conversations uh, uh, play a part in anyone who's having that same kind of, uh, you know. Hurdles as a young person, or maybe just in a as an adult who can now say, "Oh, that's what's going on." That's I, you know, bruh, I understand what you're saying. Uh, it, um, and hopefully, the conversation about psychedelics is not something that you're you're scared of, you're shy, or, or you shy away from. Um, I can't speak enough about it in a healthy way. Um, I hope that you know. It doesn't sound like some. <laughs> I'm not at the stage yet of being any kind of spaced out. Or my, you know, it, it hasn't carried on to me where I cannot have knowledgeable conversations, and I can't go a whole year without having mushrooms, or uh, um, yeah, I can go way longer without mushrooms in weed, <laughs> apparently, <laughs> right? Um, and it's. It's good in conversation to take away all the negative things that comes with anybody having conversations about psychedelics. Um, it's, it, it, you know, it, I'm not running down the street screaming, somebody's trying to kill me. <laughs> right. Um, and 
you know, the natural medicines as provided by Allah are there for us. Um, Carrots are for your eyes. Tomatoes are for your heart. There is food specifically for your brain as well. Don't think your brain is excluded in in the natural provisions that we're supplied here on the earth. What your brain eats specifically is mushrooms and, you know, if you do need um, Western medicine, you do need that white guy in a white coat to come and say, yes, uh, we have proven that mushrooms do reconnect um, brain, brain waves, brain signals, brain things, right? Um, it helps create a functioning, healthier brain. It's like your brain has been starving all these years for what it actually eats, what actually makes it strong. And when you finally start consuming it again, you, it, it's it's a wow to the magic and the powers of the brain and what this fantastic device is that we were ordained with and how this fantastic device was given the magnificent gift of consciousness and how consciousness in itself is such a fantastic exploratory um, realm, concept, design, and so on, all the fantastic words that you want to put around it, Um, and know that your creator did not just leave you in in darkness without answers. Um, I often say to anybody who has any doubts of Allah, um, God, a creator, you know, we have ways to, of finding out. The formula to death is DMT. We know what the specific formula for death is. The same chemical your brain releases when you pass. If And when you do consume this chemical naturally, um, it comes from a tree. It's not, it doesn't have any, you, you know, you, you can have access to it without any added this, that, or the other. Right? You can have ayahuasca experiences. Right? Um, the ability for you to explore the fantastic realm of your creator outside of your body does exist. Now, it just, you know, it, it, it's not as easily available as water. <laughs> right? You can't just go to your stream and, ooh, let me, let me taste death real quick. Right. Um, but you do have that free will to go find out the answer to the ultimate question yourself and come back with a more than definitive yes. <laughs> and woe unto you if you still think otherwise after your return. Right. Um, this is such an amazingly beautiful universe realm and space that we live in and it is at um it is a very limited human experience um to not go see for yourself um you know it is what it is. It's it's not every single human on earth who has ever lived and ever will live who gets to go get that confirmation. 
um, who almost, as it seems to me, gets the invitation for you to go discover yourself. I mean, I've I've been a participator in almost every faith. I was Jehovah's Witness for a while. I was a Mormon for a while. That's that's a story. Um, all right. Um, I've read the Kebra Nagast. I've, well, not the whole thing, but I opened it up. Uh, my <laughs> I'm not afraid of other books. Is pretty much what I'm trying to say. Right. I'm not afraid to read a book. Um, and when I got my hands on the Holy Quran, um, and I got my hands on the Holy Quran after I started giving my brain the correct things that it eats, um, and, you know, more and more, um, my questions were answered and, um, my personal revelations, um, were sent to me confirming that I had finally, finally reached, um, you know, the source of knowledge as I had been searching for, praying for, and asking for uh, a good part of my life, right? And this source of knowledge in the magnificent Holy Quran is in the fact that it is the only, only holy book that has never been altered, not a single word changed, which um, uh, I don't need any further confirmation than that, that the source is clearly a magnificent source capable of keeping a single word from being altered in the Holy Quran. So that's where, that's where I am. And that's how I came to these um, fantastic new ways of thinking and um, perspective on, on things. Right? Again, I don't claim to have all the answers, um, but I am happy to be a part of um, the understanding of Islam. I am happy to be gaining um, a vast amount of knowledge and understanding on how the world works, the realm that we live in. This fantastic, fantastic um, consciousness and gift of life and breath and um, you know hopefully playing a part in bringing to ease some of the um, some of the burdens a lot of people feel in this life and realm by simply offering you um, the understanding that I've been favored with uh, about it all right. Um, I look forward to some good conversations in these podcasts, and I hope that you've enjoyed this first one. Um, there will be more to come. I am Ibrahim Zero X. This has been the first episode of The Voice, V-O-I-U-S. There's no ice in voice. There's no need to spell voice, V-O-I-C-E. I think it takes away from you and I. Um, using our voices in the best manner, and V-O-I-U-S, us, brings uh, a new perspective and an understanding of um, frequency that us humans are producing with these things called throats, 
that it's actually capable of altering the entire being of another person, groups of persons, and even institutions, and even realms. So here we go. This is our way forward. Thanks for listening. Ibrahim Zero X.